So, welcome. Um, the the bathrooms are right around the corner down the hallway. Um, Perks are on your right. And uh, <laughs> make sure you silence all your electronic devices before we start. Of Dave and Ali with me from Virginia. Uh, Dave is a retiree from the United States Army. And his wife is joining us today so we can get a full spectrum kind of view of everything that's going on. So with that, let me welcome you both to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to jump right in with my strange question of the day. Uh, the one that I ask at the beginning of pretty much every single episode. And the question is um, your morning routines. And actually, both of you can chime in for this. Uh, and any of these other questions along the way as well, feel free to chime in. Um, but what does your morning routine look like now versus when you were still in service, still in uniform? And maybe Ali, from your perspective, when he was still in uniform, and maybe now that he's around the house making all kinds of baked goods and doing crazy things in the kitchen. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot has changed. Um Active duty, I had three children running through the house along with dogs and a part-time job. Um, he was gone a lot. Uh, we made a decision at one point that he would just deploy and do his thing. And I would stay stationary in one spot for a certain amount of time and just help with the kids. And if I ever needed him, I would definitely reach out through the command. But um, I don't think that really ever happened, but, um, he was, you know, but yeah, the morning routine is very much different than what it was with having children around and having to deal with getting kids off to school, getting everything ready and also working and then coming back and dinner and everything else. Um, when he got home. There was a transition, of course, and the transition, um, I would say three weeks to a month was a typical transition period where he would come in and make his presence known gradually with the children as far as the disciplinary. Um, but, um, and that for the most part seemed to work fairly well with us from what I can recall from the many deployments and times where he would come back in and out. I don't PT in the morning anymore. <laughs> Shame on I don't you. get up. I know it is terrible, but I mean, this is a work in progress. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I, I had this impression that after I retired, I'd be able to sleep in. You know, go to work at a normal hour. Um, no, no, not a bit. Uh, I still snap open at between four and four thirty. Brain turns on, um, and it's just something I've come to accept. But rather than, I mean, for me, the big difference is rather than getting uh, getting the uniform on and going to a formation or doing PT or whatever, it's uh, get my stuff together, grab grab my lunch if I'm going to have, you know, something to take with me and and then head to the office. I make my coffee there. Of course, that's not too much different. I made 
I made my coffee at the office uh, for the military too. So yeah, get in the car and go avoid the devil's highway during um, large rush hour and uh, go to work. Uh, I'm in before everybody else, which is nice. I get a lot of work done before then, but um, I honestly can't, other than, you know, the, 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 the doing the whole formation and, and doing organized PT and, and then going to chow and that whole, whole thing that's that's changed that's the only part of it that's really changed other than that it's get up have the uh, black nectar of life and get to work <laughs> yeah speaking of black nectar of life i just want to interject real quick and find out like what everybody's drinking because we're having a kind of a sipping session with our new form format that we're doing here so i've i've got uh red wine which comes out of a plastic two liter jar thing that you buy it's typical sicilian typical italian italians don't drink that fancy crap so they just drink wine out of a plastic bottle that's what we do what are you guys sipping on over there uh she is having a uh, apparition from the winery at lagrange which is a uh, local winery here in northern virginia and i am drinking <clears throat> some kentucky gold um this is rabbit hole bourbon with Ooh. chill rocks no ice cheers i haven't had that one yet cheers good so now we know at the, the end of this interview we might be a little bit saucy so that's good <laughs> <laughs> but what i want to do is jump back all the way back to before you actually got in the military and i want to try to figure out if you can place us in the time, maybe the place, the year, the physical location of where you were, the mental state of where you were before you jumped into the military and what was kind of the, the trigger or the turning point that, that gave you the push to then sign the papers and go sign up and do your thing. Okay. So um, about halfway through my sophomore year in high school, uh, I knew that school was not a place for me. Uh, I'm not built to sit in a classroom for long periods of time. Um, formulated instruction only works for uh, short periods with me. So it just, um, I just, I knew I wasn't going to go to college. It was, uh, college wasn't an interest to me. It, um, I wanted, at first, before anything, I wanted to be an airline pilot. And um, uh, so I looked, I looked kind of into what that would take. Um, but at some point I drifted off from that and I got to thinking, you know what, uh, instead of that, and to be honest with you, I honestly can't remember, um, I can't remember what the impetus was, but I shifted to, you know what, I'll join the Air Force. They'll teach me how to fly. Then I can, you know, you know, do the thing. Um, and I went to the Air Force uh, and they said, no. Um, for an interesting reason, um, which was like a, um, a condition, a skin condition. And so the next place I went was the Navy. And they said, well, you want to join the Navy? And I said, well, yeah. They said, do you have the skin condition? And I went, no. And they went, right. And so I joined uh, the Navy. So I, I spent the first half of my career as an active duty sailor. Um, I, I made chief petty officer in about nine and a half years. And um, in 2000, 
yeah, just before 2000, just at 2000, um, that's when I sh shifted over. But going back, um, so so that was that was the thing. I thought, you know, the military would be a good place for me. I'm not going to have to sit in a whole bunch of school. I'm not going to have to go to school for two, three, four years to get a low paying job. I can go straight into the low paying job. Um, but also have a place to live, have food. And, and I thought it was, a, I thought it'd be a pretty good deal. So um, none of the services at that point would let me fly because of this. Uh, so I wound up picking a job uh, which had the second longest school in the Navy. Go figure. Um, <laughs> the irony, yeah, the irony ran thick, um, but I loved it. I loved what I did. And um, it was, uh, it was very rewarding. I learned a lot. It was what, got me started down the path of my current career. Uh, so I'm quite pleased about it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was absolutely born out of a lack of desire to spend a ton of money going to college when I knew myself that this was not going to be something I would enjoy or be good at because sitting in the classroom, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I get bored quickly, and then that's always a problem. Shiny red uh, aluminum squirrels. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're not wrong. Um, the uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I've had plenty of senior people um, find out what happens when Dave gets bored, and <laughs> amazingly enough, I've I've never been to Captain's Math or in Article 15, so. You know, <laughs> so so with that, I think I have to ask the, the I guess the next logical question is, um, do do you have any recollection of MRE bombs? And if so, how many have you set off in your career? Never did an MRE bomb. I heard about, them, um, but I didn't. I never did an MRE bomb. The the, the closest I got to um, that sort of silliness was. Uh, one of my shipmates and I were having a water gun fight in the Persian Gulf in the engine room. And, yeah. And uh, um, I heard the door at the forward port side of the engine room go shut. And I figured he was coming around to the aft door of the engine room. So I went up there and the aft door opened and I snapped around the corner and I shot the um, <clears throat> senior chief petty officer coming in with the cat with the CEO, uh, chief engineer, the CEO and the admiral in tow to look at the engine room. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And at what point did you two uh, actually meet? Like what point in your career? I was in, uh, I was assigned to the pre-commissioning unit Chancellorsville. Mm -hmm. uh, guided missile cruiser 62 was being constructed in Pascagoula, Mississippi. And um, Pascagoula is a wonderful place um, with a, a plethora of smells. There's a che uh, not Chevrolet. What is it? Um, what's the what's the? Oh boy, I'm, I'm um, the gas company that begins with CH. Chevron. Chevron. That's the one. Yeah. There's a there's a Chevron gas plant. There's a cat food plant and a fertilizer plant. And if the wind blows just right. But anyways, um, <laughs> uh, I was stationed there. And um, I was assigned to the engineering department uh, for my job. And my senior chief um, was married to 
her cousin. Oh. And uh, that was a, oh my gosh, you have to meet my cousin situation. <laughs> plot twist. Um, plot twist. Yeah. <laughs> and so she, she set us up on um, an introductory get together, going to play games, which was really um, an, a good time. Uh, I brought my girlfriend at the time with me. So that, that's, that's how clueless I am or was, or am. Yeah. Am. Uh, yeah. And uh, we played a game, which because of the way I play games, this woman next to me looked at her cousin and said, what in the world were you thinking trying to put me together with this booger eating moron? Uh, so yeah, it was not a good first meeting. Not at all. But that was 19, uh, 1989. 89. Okay. Yeah. And still kicking, still going. Well, she tries to kick, but I'm a little bit faster than I used to be. So I get out of the way. You're really funny right now. <laughs> you can't run that fast. I mean, she's not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in shape. What do you mean? Round is the shape. <laughs> round is the shape. That's what pizza's around. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you met, and then how long after that did you get married? Six months. Wow. I'm, I'm watching in process that. That was great. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, we departed. Uh, we actually, We actually got together a few more times after that. And um, there was at least a, uh, a, a a hint of mutual attraction. And and so we talked some, and, and I invited her to the commissioning, which was November 4th of 1989. Um, she, uh, you know, at that point, she got to meet my parents because they were there. And um, we left Pascagoula to oh, sail to our um, home port of San Diego, which meant going through the ditch. And all the way through, my uh, co uh, cohort in crime and, and the guy I stood watch with in the engine room, who is still a very good friend of mine, uh, kept coming up to me going, you miss her? He's, a, he's an old Texas boy. And so everything came out, you know, he's like, you miss her? Hey, you thinking about it? You know, and it was, uh, shut up. Um, but um, so I called her when we got to Panama. I called her and said, hey, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? She said, I've got a family um, gathering that we're going to. I said, okay, well, what are you doing for Christmas? Nothing. Come up for Christmas. When do I plan to go back? Uh, I don't. You don't plan to go back. No. And she immediately called her mother and said, I'm getting married. <laughs> so we got married in April of uh, 1990. Yeah. Awesome. And for you... Sorry, my ears were ringing there for a minute. This tinnitus is getting me. <laughs> uh, yeah. For you, Allie, um, how many moves have you guys made in the military in, the, in Dave's career? You need a piece of paper? No. Um, <laughs> let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. No, there's wait. East, uh, east to west. East is to one. west. West to east. No, 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 no. One. Well, and that's then, true. We'd moved three times in San Diego. 
we moved three times in San Diego. So that's one plus four and then five, six, mm -hmm. seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. Yeah. 11. 11. <laughs> it's my favorite number. <laughs> so a total of 11 moves. Wow. And that's because we chose to stay in Maine for 18 years versus picking up and moving the kids uh, and transitioning them in and out of schools. Mm -hmm. So we just ended up in Maine for 18. And that was by virtue. You were able to stay there for, for that long because of. Well, that's going back to what we had talked about before. Uh, he and I had decided that stability for the children and then him deploying and me taking care of the children. So he got stationed in Norfolk. Yeah, my last command in the Navy was on USS Mahan DDG-72. She was constructed in Bath, Maine. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point that we made the decision that I would uh, get out of the Navy. Um, and, uh, and that was at 14 years. And uh, so, um, why leave? We're going to stay here in Bath. We like it in Bath. Um, and so it just made sense. And I would go home, what, about once a month or so, sometimes once every other month, yeah. I'd go home for a long weekend. Yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, she stayed put. So we didn't have some of those moves that would have been involved with, you know, staying that much longer. Yeah, there probably would have been one of two yeah. additional moves yeah, to the 11. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And is, was that able to help as far as stability with your job stuff as well, Ali? Or oh yeah, absolutely. Um, with my job, I mean, I was working part time because of the children, and mm -hmm. you have to, you know, do what you have to do. Um, but uh, it entitled me to work with that particular company for twenty years. Right. So. It was worth it. Yeah, that's one thing. And I'm yeah. actually starting to dig into that with uh, a couple of interviews that I've got set up coming forward in the future, but digging into how the from the from the wife or the husband's side of the perspective, the the spouse of the military members perspective of as far as jobs, as far as employment and the moves and the stress that it puts on you. At, including adding, you know, children to the mix and, and pets mm -hmm. to the mix and all that. Like, that's an interesting perspective that you guys took to stay put, do the, the geo bachelor kind of thing. And, um, and, and it's worked out obviously. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't, there were, there were stressful times, of course, because mm -hmm. she had to deal with things with the kids that, um, that I wasn't there able to help her with. Um, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're just talking about. Um, the, um, but, but overall, it was a short period of time. I mean, it was not, I, I left Bath. We commissioned Mahan in 98. And so I was in Norfolk living on the ship until uh, I retired, or didn't retire, but I got out of the Navy. And that was March of 2000. Um, and, uh, so really it wasn't a terribly long time. Some folks can't do that. I, I tell people all the time that 
one of the things that really kind of pushed my button for her was um, that she was she she was immediately had an air of competence, mm -hmm. and I knew that I wasn't going to have to worry about whether or not things were going to go sideways while I was deployed because, you know you know what it's like you're over there and you cannot do anything and and i remember guys they would get emergency phone calls emergency radio calls on the ship because the car battery went dead or because you know the the, the water heater quit working and and their wives were just they didn't know what to do they didn't know how to handle that and it was it was kind of odd but our goodbyes at the pier were see you later there wasn't a lot of <laughs> it was yeah. got it i'm out later uh, and it was it was comforting it was it made me know it helped me to know that i could go do what i had to do and home was taken care of and if, if you don't mind me digging into that because i feel like that's a really interesting point um where do you think like what kind of pre-work what kind of relationship skills did you build what were some kind of archimedes levers in your relationship that allowed you to have that kind of relationship and have that confidence on both ends of the spectrum on both ends of the the relationship here's the thing some of those some of those types of things for for in both of our personalities are we're also some of the you know the, the weak points as well we are both type a's we are both mm -hmm. very much large and in charge people and so that's that confidence and competence that that i sensed in her um and that works great in in a situation when you have to go um you know there there were times that I'd have to call her and say, uh, by the way, we've just been ordered to get underway and I won't be home for a week. Um, you know, that that's happened. And that's great because I knew that she was going to, she had the kids sorted. She had the house sorted. She, she handled the bills while I, I didn't touch money. I, I did the typical, you know, here's all my money. Can I have some back situation uh, when we were, when we were younger, but, um, yeah, I think that that a large part of it is her and my comfort level in knowing that I wasn't going to have to stress about what was going on at home. Yeah, I guess my my Did that answer the question. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, I was just my my observation of it of what you just described is kind of like metal sharpening metal, and also. Um, really just a trust and and i wouldn't say a blind trust but i would say a trust to the point where there's not a second thought in your mind about the trust yeah yeah i, I think you're right um yeah and I, I, I never once considered that that things would go wrong at home i just it never crossed my mind that i'd get that Lewis, you got to fly off the you got to fly off the ship and go home because everything went south. And and I've also watched, as I'm sure you have over the time of your career, watched the guys get the letters. I'm out. I've taken I've taken my crap and I've left. You know, I never that never considered 
crossed my mind, never. I've always yeah. tried to be extremely supportive of his career and his job. I mean, he's the breadwinner of the family. I mean, nuts and bolts of it. So um, when I decided to open up my own business, he was the nuts and bolts that held us together. So during COVID, so, you know, support each other and, you know, supporting each other in all aspects, good and bad, mm -hmm. because everybody has good and bad. Um, yeah. You do. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but I think for the most part, um, to me, it was rewarding. I was able to not only support him and his job and career in the military, but I was also stable enough to be able to maintain the home unless there was like a catastrophic kind of event. And we've had those in our lives, but the catastrophic events, he was land he wasn't out at sea mm -hmm. so um and was able to deal with what needed to be dealt with but you know with those being said you know we have each other's back i'm not going to sit here and say everything is roses and you know fairy dust and everything like that because it's not you know but um we have each other and we will always have each other like in those regards. Cue Sunny and Cher song. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw that in <laughs> into the edit. <laughs> no, that's really good. I think that's another reason why I asked both of you to come on, not not just Dave, uh, because it, it is for sure about the military members career story journey through the military to transition out of the service and into another uh, chapter or career in their life. But it's also the one thing that we don't get to, to take a look at very often, or we don't get to put a microscope on and examine very often is the, the kind of the dynamics that keep, that allow someone to be successful in their military career, that allow them to transcend the two decades or three decades that they have to do in order to get to that point of retirement to be able to do it with you know grace and make it look easy and come out on the other side of it uh as equally successful in their in their families and their in their lives with their children with their grandchildren um that's one thing that we don't get to to look at very often so that's why i'm really really happy to do this together with you guys and you're a perfect example. I mean, I've known Dave for not as many years as you've known Dave, but uh, for sure it's it's really, and it sounds like it was an alpha seeking out another alpha. Maybe that's just how it worked out serendipitously. Um, maybe it wasn't planned like that. Um, and then also the fact that the two of you both, we, we all have alpha egos if we're alpha people. But I think the alphas that are the most prevalent are the ones who have the egos who also understand that they can put their ego to the side uh, for the for the greater good 
And I think that's the, like the example that I see the two of you. That's interesting that you bring that Good up. Way to put it. So I had to learn being an alpha. I had to learn when he came home to step back and let him be head of home. And that took a transition, which is within that month time frame that I mentioned. Um, it was a transition for sure. But I mean, I think we made it work. Well, you know, it's an interesting thing that, that you bring that up. The first transition did not go well. No. The first time I came home was, was poorly executed because I came in. I'm in charge. And and I didn't give her or the kids an opportunity for me to settle in. And it was a significant amount of friction. And we had to we had to talk about that um, as time went by. And then of course, as we went to the next iteration, my next deployment, um, I can clearly remembering her saying, Look, when you come back, I don't want to repeat them of last time. We can't do that. And Fortunately, at that particular time, the Navy had started to getting its act together with respect mm -hmm. to preparing sailors to come home. And so they actually started bringing folks on board to think of it as kind of like a precursor to the TAP program we see, um, where they brought people on board. We were about you know a month out, three weeks out, I guess. And they said, you're about ready to go home. Just remember, all of this stuff it has gone on. Don't forget that their lives have continued while your life stopped there. You can't go in and just pick things right back up. You have to sit back and observe changes. You have to sit back and observe dynamics in your family that you're that you're reintegrating with. Mm -hmm. And it was a it was a really kind of a truth bomb thought process for me to go, oh, I never considered that. Um, and so that was extremely helpful. Our neck, our, our second one, I think went a lot better. And of okay. course, mm -hmm. then it, what, you know, as in any young marriage, our communication skills weren't the greatest to begin with, but as those communication skills got better and as the, as that trust level really strengthened and, and, and solidified, we were able to really kind of maneuver that particular rocky road pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and even you could see the reflection of that in the kids. They, they, were, they were more at ease. They were more relaxed about it. Yeah, good. I mean, they're going to follow the example of the actions, not necessarily the words, right? So if you two mm -hmm. are oh, yeah. calm and collected and, and talking like adults, um, whatever that word means anymore. <laughs> I looked it up once. It looks confusing. Yeah, it's, it's too many, too many sidebars on that word adult, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Let but me, here I we mean, are I, almost, 34, oh, almost 34 years of marriage. Yeah, exactly. And it's, that's what fascinates me the most. And it's, I mean, it's not like you guys are some anomaly of, of life that, you know, you've been together so long, but it's just a, a very interesting dynamic with the two of you and how you've navigated all of this time in the military and together and through moves all across the country, everywhere else. And, and then coming to the point where you settled into a, a kind of a groove 
where you understood like, hey, you're going to do this. Hey, I'm going to do that. And hey, we're going to meet in the middle and and come mm -hmm. to some sort of compromise on really everything as much as possible. So I do want to figure out the transition from the Navy. So you said you got out after 16 years and then what happened after that point? So uh, 14 years, I was in oh, the Navy 14. for... Yeah, I was in the Navy for, um, actually, I mean, it was 14 years, but my DD-214 from the Navy is 13 years, 11 months, 27 days, or something like that. I, I tried so hard. I, I talked to my um, my recruiter. I wanted to join on April 1st so badly because I wanted my parents to be really questioning it until I signed, until I raised my hand. But he couldn't get me there. We had to do it April 2nd. So anyways, um, uh, I was discharged um, March 30th. So I wanted to go into the Navy Reserve. Um, and like I said, I, I was a chief petty officer. And they said, uh, we can take you in the reserves, but not as a chief. We'll have to make you an E6. And I went, no, I'm not taking off the anchors. I, I worked hard for these anchors. I'm going to keep them. So they didn't have a place for me. So I was rudderless. Huh? I was out for a couple of years because um, uh, September 11th happened mm -hmm. and that set my teeth on edge and, but I couldn't just run back to the office. You know, I couldn't run back to the recruiter's office. Uh, life had changed too much since then. But I got a call from an Army Reserve recruiter, and I won't bore you with the huge details, um, but he said, hey, I see that, you know, you, you were out, you know, just a couple of years ago. Are you interested in coming back in, being part of the Army Reserve, and shooting automatic weapons at West Point? Well, Yeah. So <laughs> automatic weapons. So um, they put me in a. So the the Army Reserve took me back as as a, a E seven, and uh, I stayed as a, I stayed as a seven for a very long time in the Army. Uh, they they told me that I had enough time in grade when I joined. They said, "Hey, you got enough time in grade? Why don't you put in your package for eight? I'm like, "Are you kidding me? I still am trying to figure out your rank structure." All right, I, I can't. What, what is this formation? What, what is this quarters thing called? It's a formation. All right, I thought it was quarters. No, it's formation. You know that all of this new lingo. I I got abused relentlessly for taking a head break. You know, um, you know it, it, it's a latrine, you idiot, uh, freaking sailors. You know, um, but, so in two thousand and two, in 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 August of two thousand and two, I joined my first unit, the third of the 304th out of Lewiston, Maine. And our mission was to support um, basic cadet training at West Point every summer. So the plebes would come in and they would do their four, five, six weeks of basic, whatever it was. And our part was rifle marksmanship, hand grenade range, um, so there's one of the one I'm space camping on right now. And um, and so that was cool. Um, then somebody figured out I knew how to use. Oh, this was the other thing. They couldn't figure out what to do to, to give me a MOS. 
And I said, well, I'm a gas turbine tech. Don't you, you have gas no. turbines in the tanks? <laughs> and they said, totally different animal. And this isn't the type of unit that, that has tank mechanics. So they made me a truck driver. Hmm. Yes. I was for a very short time in the army, an 88 Mike. Um, and, and actually after I got about that long, yeah, after I got <laughs> qualified as an 88 Mike, I did start panicking because, you know, all of that was when everything was just going completely mm. awire and they were, you know, the convoys and everything. I, I kept saying to myself, man, they're just going to yank me out of my unit. They're going to send me over there and I'm going to drive a truck. Okay. I could do it. But I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I'm, I'm anyways. Um, but then they figured out that I could use a computer and they put me in charge of the laser marksmanship training system. You remember that? Mm-hmm. You put the little thing in the rifle click and the little laser and man, I love that thing. And I love setting it up. I love making it work. I love doing all that stuff. And, and uh, so we use that. Uh, at West Point, it was a really great tool. Um, and and then they assigned me to be the career counselor. So I did all that training. And I was at a, I was at a, an, a pre-deployment event in Massachusetts. And it was this group, excuse me, from Fort Devens. That was the NEIOC, Northeast Information Operations Command. Excuse me. No worries. Bless you. Excuse me while I try to die. <laughs> Don't die on me yet. That's another hour to go. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't talk this much. Ask her. I don't talk this much. Nah. Um. The uh and, and we got to talking about the computer stuff, and I told him what I did for a living and what my hobbies were. And they dragged me over to this warrant officer. One of the guys dragged me over to this warrant officer. Hey, you need to talk to this guy. And so he took me over to their unit. And I was just like goggle-eyed because of all the nerd stuff there. And the next month found me transferred down there. And so I spent the bulk of my army time driving to and from Massachusetts for for drill. Um, And so that's how I wound up in the army. And that's how I wound up as a 25 Bravo. Yeah, and I kind of want to pull the string on this because I'm just out of pure curiosity and it's my show and I can do what I want with it. So um, <laughs> do whatever I want. Nuh-uh. Um, I found, because because I happened to stumble into that same unit on accident and that's how you know we met. And um, I, I've come across so many people that were former 88 Mike's that then became these cyber combatant people in the military, at least from that, any, any IOC, any CPC perspective. And I'm just curious about that. Like that's, it's strange to me that it's this weird kind of, I don't know. It's just accidental happening. I don't know. For my part of it, I know that they threw me in the 88 Mike course because they need me to have an MOS. Hmm. And I told them I was not going to get a paper pushers MOS. I was not going to get any of the administrative MOSs. I wasn't going to do it because if they put me behind a desk, I would have, it would have just ended my time. I'd have left. 
Um, and so they said, well, okay, fine. We'll make you a truck driver. I said, okay, that'd be fun. Um, it wasn't like I was going to do it anyways, because like I said, the unit was all about training at West Point. Um, and in fact, I really enjoyed the unit and I loved the people there. Loved them. Uh, still in contact with a few of them to this day. It was, it was, I have some absolutely fantastic memories of that unit. Unfortunately, we sat around a lot of time on the bleachers going, hmm. you know, and I got bored. And and like I've said before, bored David is a bad idea. Um, and hmm. so I, you know, that's, that's why I kind of started looking around. I told her at one point, uh, somebody had offered to let me become a, um, an army reserve recruiter or something. Was it a recruiter or just oh, the career counselor situation? But they were going to let me on my own car, which I thought was really nice. Oh, that was the recruiter thing. That was the recruiter thing. She was like, um, but that, that's <laughs> yeah. admin. Um, but uh, yeah, so for, that's the way it was for me. And, and it was just, it was a placeholder. It was because the unit was MOS non-specific. And I one or two of the other guys, um, sidebar, can we mention other folks' names? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Glenn was a truck driver. Mm -hmm. You remember he, he, he drove and, um, well, Jed was a medic, um, but I don't, I don't know of any other, myself, of any other truck drivers other than Glenn. Yeah, there were a couple. Yeah. There were a couple other. And Glenn's actually been on the podcast before. I don't even. I don't know if we dug into his eighty-eight Mike career part of it, but um, I don't remember. It was a while ago. But there was a couple other people, and right now I'm totally blanking on the names, and it's probably the wine talking at this point. So, um, but yeah, I just found that odd. I found it strange that there was a few, a handful of eighty-eight Mikes in this unit, and I had the same response that you had when when I walked into that unit the very first time. I was just blown away like everybody from the e1 all the way up to the you know the lieutenant colonel just super nerds super smart everybody in the yep. room was smart and i really for me that was one of those experiences in the military where it was like i did not know that there were places like this that existed where every single person in the room is smarter than smarter everybody than else right so yeah regular basis i love that i love beer yeah go ahead go ahead if i can toss in just a little side note mm -hmm. hit that command was one of his best commands um individuals still to this day are it's so so supportive in so many different ways and best command ever it, it, at least with the army the uh navy we have our network of navy individuals that we are still friends with today and okay. but yeah the chancellor's bill but um best that was a good command best command yeah. hands down ever yeah yeah, I'll I'll second that. I mean, that's a big shout out to the Northeast Cyber Protection Center, all of you out there, every single one of you, from the the grumpiest warrant officers to you know, <laughs> you know who you're talking to, about <laughs> to, to everybody. I'm talking about myself. 
uh, yeah, it's, it was a great place, and it's it's funny how that that camaraderie kind of just builds. Not not just in that command. I would say I've experienced it in other places, but for sure that command was one of the best commands I've ever worked for, and probably ever will work for in in the government period. Um, also being the precursor to what is now, you know, currently uh, cyber command and things like that, right? They they kind of help build that that mm -hmm. arm yeah. of the military. So with that, let me just kind of dive into two things. Uh, one thing will be one of the things that you or both of you potentially miss about still being in uniform, like still having access to active duty, still being around active duty or, or reserve uh, military folks and installations, anything, anything you miss about that? You first, my answer will be longer. I'm sure. I, um, Yeah, I I really don't miss this is me being gone. Well I sent him on dive <laughs> So um but I mean out, yeah outside of just go get away. But um no, I really personally I'm I don't miss anything per se. Um because we're still in contact with a lot of individuals that, I mean, it's just like being in a, the unit still, even though you're not in the union, it's everybody's still chit-chatting back and forth and doing things together and randomly. So it's like, you're still together, but you're not still together. I, I miss, I will say this, for the first couple of years I was out, I missed it a lot. A lot. I mean, and then I got to thinking, of course, I could be confusing it with Stockholm Syndrome. Um, the, but you get to meet this amazing thin little cross section off the top of America when you're when you're in the military. Um, and you get to meet people from these other cultures and these other lines of thinking um, and, and the way that they were raised differently. And you get to kind of absorb all of that. Um, I would say one of the biggest things I miss is the colorblindness. <laughs> um, I hate the corporate culture of having to be so sensitive about the way you say something because in 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 the military i've just i personally i never grew up seeing um seeing melanin i just didn't it was you're you were another human being and if and if we got on great if we didn't get on then we avoided each other type situation um and but but in the corporate culture of of having to be sensitive to saying certain things for fear of being called the nasty R word or, you know, you know, some of the thought processes that are, uh, that are out there. I miss that. I, I don't like having to, 
tiptoe around. I just, you know, um, you get to know people and you, and, and you get to know how they, they think, but it, I, I, I think it's on a different level because you're not out there doing the stuff we did as in the military. I miss, um, the sense of camaraderie, the brotherhood, the sisterhood that you get with people. I, I, I have some folks at work that one of them is a Marine and the other one is former army. Um, and then we have our token air force guy. Um, we still give him dolls to play with, so it's okay. Um, but you know, we stand apart because of our military connections from the rest of the team. And, um, and so I, I kind of still have a little bit of that, but I really do. I, there are times it's like, man, I just, I'd love to put the uniform back on. And it might, I'd probably have to get a little bit of a bigger one now, just, just, to, <laughs> you know, how. um, and, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> pizza, um, the, uh, and there's times I'd love to do it, um, but you know, yeah, I, I'll I'll leave it at that. That's that's what I miss is that camaraderie, that sense of belonging, that um, that brotherhood, no matter where you're from. You know, this guy who grew up in South LA is my brother, even though you know we were miles and miles apart from each other. Yeah, and with that, let me slide over to something about your transition. Can you give us the the year that you actually retired out of the military? And I actually want to kind of get your your very interesting story about retiring out of the military um, because it's a little bit different than most people's. But leading up to that point, what were some of the the thought processes, maybe the the mental gymnastics that you were doing in your head, or maybe weren't um, leading up to that point of deciding to retire. And then actually the last, like, say, year or six months of time that you had just prior to getting out, what was that like? So um, our last deployment with our with debt to, um, I did the math. And I was going to reach sanctuary on, on that trip. And so I threw that flag the minute I got there. We had talked about it. I, I, cause I, I did the math and I came to her and I said, look, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to get over 18 years. And there's this rule and we call it sanctuary that they'll keep me and put me somewhere. I said, now, here's the thing. I get to ask where I want to go. But again, it'll be needs of the army and they may send me somewhere else. But are you ready to stay put? Then we'll do the geo batch thing again. She said, yes, get out. Um, and uh, so um, so all the way up to leading up to debt two, we were talking about it. Um, so I hit my 18 years. Uh just before we came home and started demobbing. Um, and it was at that point that I'm, I was actually starting to, uh, let me back up a little bit even more. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I made that year was the contract I was on 
at my um, in Bath. The, I was on a government um, government contract for providing support to the precom um, units. I was the IT guy, and that contract was lost to another company, who very graciously offered to let me keep my job for a fourteen percent pay cut. Well, the, the the pay in Maine is trash anyway, and this was going to be even more trash. Um, and the cost of living wasn't going down 14%. So I told them no. Uh, and I called the unit there. And again, this is one of the reasons we love Massachusetts or we love, uh, you know, that NEIOC so much. Um, called them up and said, hey, can you put me on orders? And and the XO at the time said, give me a minute. Call me back a couple hours later. He says, yeah, I can get you, I can get you 179 days and then we'll reapply. And so I, I literally, from 2013 to the deployment at the end of 14, I was, I was on orders. I was just doing a circle of orders down at Devons. Um, and that kind of, that not only saved our bacon, but it gave me some freedom. Mm -hmm. And it also gave me the opportunity to chew on one of my biggest regrets in the military. And, and um, it is my, it's, I would have to say that it's my only regret, um, but I got too old. But I, I should have become a warrant. I should have gone warrant. Uh, if there's one thing I could go back in time and change, it's when that was first told, hey, put in that application for a warrant. Swallow the pride, swallow the ego, swallow the stupidity, go to the freaking warrant program. And it would have it would have changed my trajectory a little bit. Um, but I was still at that point, I was like, what if I try to go warrant now? Well, I'm old and fat. Ugh, I don't know. And and so I just wound up getting my set of orders. So I so back to uh we were at Fort Um Bliss doing our demo, put in the paperwork, and I said, Where do you want to work? And I said, Well, number one preference would be Belvoir, number two would be Pentagon, number three would be Pentagon. You know, nor I didn't say Pentagon. I um the I can't think the of the five-sided building. Uh-huh. The yeah, no, the, 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 little, the, the other little base that's right next to the Pentagon where um, where the old guard is. I can't think of the name yeah. of the base right now. Um, but basically, right within here, we lived in Fairfax. Um, and so I got the Pentagon, and I wound up getting a job at the office of the assistant. Uh, the, the assistant. This the, the Army. This Secretary, I've got brain free. Secretary, <laughs> Secretary of the Assistant Secretary of the Army, Assistant Secretary of the Secretary of the Army. Only brain cramping, anyway. Um, <laughs> and and I was I was actually I was actually doing radar's job, delivering mail. Hmm. Um, it was a little frustrating for me. Throwing in this, his administrative assistant to the secretary of the army. See, I knew I'd get it. His unit from Devons sent him radar's hat because they knew where he was at. That was so not he, the unit. Oh, that was Ginger Williams. That, that was, was Ginger. Marcus Ginger Smith. That was Ginger. But if she gave me that freaking hat. Radar's hat. There you go. Send him that. Yeah. Um, Making fun of him. Yeah, but but I got to work in the Pentagon, and it was really freaking cool. Uh, and then. Uh, just prior to the 2020 election, um, 2020 election, did you hear what I just said? Uh, yeah. Uh, just prior to the 2016 the election. 
It is not. Um, <laughs> they figured out that I knew how to use a computer and they asked me to do a little bit of something with um, with a Microsoft product. And I was like, okay. And I immediately got moved to the front office. And so that was cool. Uh, working right across the uh, um, passageway from the uh, Secretary of the Army's office and the Administrative Assistant's office, working with the transition team. And that day in the Pentagon was one of the funniest days I've ever encountered because the entire building was convinced that Hillary was going to win that election. <laughs> and so everybody came in. Most, I would have to say, 95% of the people in that building were shell-shocked when they came in the next day. <laughs> um, but that transition, that that part of the transition, that that was a neat experience to go out and be in that particular hub of activity. What an insane place to work. Oh, you were also um, released with the signature of um, Trump. Oh, yeah. That, I, yeah, I, I got the first. <laughs> we, we don't talk yeah. about that. <laughs> it was the best certificate ever. It was huge. It was it was the best ever signature. But yeah, my my retirement uh, my retirement certificate was the first one signed by Mr. Trump. Um, yes. But um, but they were supportive. I mean, again, it goes back to to the type of atmosphere that there's definitive professionalism. There's definitive chain of command. But I was treated. Like a grown up, I was treated like somebody who had values, somebody who could contribute. When they found my strengths, they immediately put me in a position to play to those strengths, and and I appreciated that. So uh, I retired in on uh, in July of two thousand seventeen, and no. yes, sixteen, seventeen. Um, I, w I retired in July of 2017, and um, the whole tap. You're right. You recorded that, right? She confirmed. Said confirmed. Okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, the uh, um, the tap process was extraordinarily powerful and helpful. I'm sure you're going to talk about that later or ask me about that later, but, um, and they freed me to do that. They, they didn't do what I've heard so many other commands do, which is to tie their people up and make tap less important. Or, you know, you have to go to from some freaking Sergeant majors change of responsibility ceremony, get tap done later, that sort of stupidity. It didn't happen. So I was, I was very fortunate in that, um, they took my career and the end of my career seriously, and it was really nice. Yeah, and I, I don't know if that came as a surprise to you or not working at the Pentagon. I mean, maybe after working there for a while and you you discovered that the folks there were actually genuinely involved in 
genuinely cared about your career and genuinely cared about what you you know your well-being as far as you know your professional achievements there and probably even outside of the the walls of the pentagon with your family with your you know your house and your kids and everything else um so i don't know if that's a byproduct of that but that's it's it's a coin toss really it's a coin toss depends on the unit depends on the leadership depends on where you're at depends on the tap program whether it's army navy air force depends where you're at really uh and it's really just a, to a coin toss it's russian roulette not to say that you're gonna get a bad experience with tap but um it's not always equal and you're right there are many commands out there who for whatever reason they don't put an emphasis on it they don't uh, make it a priority especially for somebody who's retiring um but even for those who aren't retiring those who are transitioning out after four years six years ten years like it's the same yeah it, it's amazing to me and i don't just to say this out loud um it's amazing to me how many commands treat people who choose to get out after four or six years they almost treat it like it's a betrayal mm -hmm. and it's mm -hmm. just insane to me um i got read the riot act by our sergeant major in um in our last deployment for encouraging a soldier to depart the army he didn't want to be there he didn't find value in it for himself it made him it, unhappy and and i got read the right act for encouraging him to move on with his life to find out what worked for him and to take advantage of the tech program and you, you know you say yeah the different tap programs i i don't i only went through the army once so i didn't know there was a different one i thought it was the same across the board for the dod um but it is amazing to me how that that's the that's a program that is a lot like a sewer. You get out of it what you put into it. And the more you put into it, the more you're going to get out of it. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. one thing I, I try to touch on here as well. And I'm trying to, I'm trying as hard as I can. And it's just, it's not a brick wall, but it's really a lot of red tape, administrative kind of hurdles that I've got to jump through to get actively involved and physically on the ground in a tap session to be able to get 30 minutes to talk to people to to explain to them you know my perspective as a retiree and my perspective of what things that they should be looking for and what things that may or may not be glazed over in the process yes it's a dod program yes it should be executed the same but as we know the Navy does things the Navy way, the Air Force does things the Air Force way, the Army does things the Army way, the Marines, Space Force. Yeah. So, so out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we were fortunate to have two children join the military. Mm -hmm. One is still in, the other one decided to get out. So it's the same scenario. They reached out to him. Dad, what do you think? You know, kind of thing. We have one that's going to make it a career, one that got out based on life events and scenarios. And 
but now he's in a position that he can, he has a government job that can, he can switch it over into his time. So it, it's, it's an individual process in my mind of where and what that individual desires in life and where they want to see themselves at the end, 20 years, 30 years, whatever it is. So everybody has different, how do you, yeah, how, everybody has a different situation, life dynamic that will come into play that makes that decision. Yeah, and I, I want to ask you, Ali, specifically about that as far as the tap is concerned and, and your perspective on it. How involved, if any, were you with that whole tap process? Like, were you, because I know it's not really open to the spouses, as far as I know, anyway. I haven't seen anything that, show, that tells me that it is. Um, it's not at all. What what kind of things would you look for that, or maybe if you were looking hindsight, you know, over that period of time when, when Dave was getting out and, and retiring out of the military, what are some of the things that you would have wanted to have happened as far as the TAP process from a spouse's perspective? Um, I guess... For me, the clarity of what TAP is, mm -hmm. so, and what it entails. Um, but hmm. David and I, we trust each other implicitly. So he would just come home and just talk with me on a layman's term, non-militaristic. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, and he would give me certain scenarios and i would say well no i that's not good well what about this well that sounds better um so but to be educated mm -hmm. on what a tap would tap is and what it entails as a spouse to help encourage spouses i think would be best i think that's a good point see and and this is one of those things she does such a good job of just kind of rolling with the punches most of the time it never occurred to me to kind of give her at least a basic rundown of what tap is transition assistance program mm. and um and maybe encouraging retirees if you're getting ready to retire if, if you are in that you know beginning that process or even just getting out and and you have a spouse significant other somebody who has partnered with you listen explain this to your partner in detail excuse me and 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 let help them to understand what you're doing now because they deserve to have input into the decision process and and i gave her the input she i have to number one this is something that we agreed on we're partners in this we we are doing this whole life thing together and um, so I, I desire and need her input for what's 
coming down the pike, but I, I obviously, as you can see, I didn't do an effective job at explaining to her what I was doing at that time, but lead me to saying, let's talk about these things. So that's, that's a good point. I'm going to go turn on some other lights. It's getting real dark in here and this thing's glaring. <laughs> okay. So, but all in all, um, Dave, he explains things very, very well in in a terminology that I can understand being non-military, even though I'm a military wife. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into that, I I would probably have to say the biggest issue that I would I would say is um, I did not feel the in the past conversations that we've had, and this is probably an edit kind of thing, but anyhow, I, in the past, I did not feel any communication from any military spouses, um, the military support. With the Navy, it was the ombudsman. I don't know who was in charge with the Army, but Mm -hmm. no communication, no reach out, no nothing. There was, um, so you do feel like you're on your own as a spouse. Um, So in transitioning from military civilian, um, I think with us, it was our own level of communication. There was... Not a, um, I did not feel there was a resource or I was not informed of a resource for certain things to expect upon a deployment in a hostile environment. Put it that way. Um, Which left me after gazillion years um kind of sideswiped and i think that needs an improvement with the military just throwing that out there and again you can edit if you need to (laughs) well whatever you you guys feel like needs to come out is for sure I can take out, but um, I try to leave in as much as possible. So, uh, because I think it's all relevant and all important. And the point that you're making is exactly the the point that I'm trying to get to and trying to understand and trying to bring light to, because I've realized myself over the course of my own career and talking to so many transitioning service members, so many retirees, over the course of the last year and a half or two years or however long it's been, um, there's really sort of a disconnect. And if folks don't have their communication skills honed or at least tuned in with one another between themselves, the way you, you guys do, I feel like that creates a friction point that's not necessary because I equate it to the 
to the thing where you'd mentioned Dave about coming back on the ship and they had somebody come on the ship like about 30 days out before you got back to shore and went through this whole kind of tap sort of process of reintegration training or reintegration program or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think it's one and the same. And again, it depends on where you're at, what branch you're in, what duty station or naval station or wherever you happen to be. Uh, it depends on who's in charge there, what programs they have in place, and if they actually put emphasis on things like reintegration training for the whole entire family like atomic unit or is it just the military service member or is it just like one or two briefings i know the military tries to compensate on the back end of that with things like the yellow ribbon program which is a great great program um, but not everybody does that it's not it's not equally exposed and equally um taken care of from all services across the board it's not a dod mandate to give yeah. spouses transition assistance that's an interesting thing you bring up i've forgotten about the yellow ribbon program um do you feel that you got anything out of that yellow ribbon event we went to no, no. yeah um the yellow ribbon event that we were required to go you have to go do this um, at the, the very first thing is, is the way that the Yellow Ribbon program was presented immediately set my teeth on edge. I read through the literature and it's like, this is stupid. I don't see a value in it. And now you're forcing me to go to it. Um, so my mind was, our minds were already set against it. Um, they wanted us to do a post-deployment one, which I don't think it never happened, did it? I, I don't remember to be honest. I don't remember. Maybe I didn't do it because I transitioned straight they away to active had duty. If the yellow I can see the value in the yellow ribbon program because it goes back to that whole idea of I would tweak it. If I was in charge. You would change something? I ooh, yes. Mm -hmm. Um the it needs to be sold better. And and maybe it is in some places. Is you know, there's there's a lot of different options or, or possibilities involved here. Mm -hmm. um, but the way it was presented to us, it, it wasn't. It was never presented as something that I found value in that that we could have value with. Um, but it being a forced thing, the way that it was, we just. We just kind of went, oh, oh, my gosh. And the presentations, I remember the presentations were just bad. So I hope that there are people that had good experiences with Yellow Ribbon. And things but ours just wasn't. could have changed between now and then. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully. But I, I personally, as a military spouse, I think that Four. the former military, <laughs> always military, hello. So anyhow, um, it's, it's to me, the yellow ribbon, I think it would have been really important just to do kind of like breakout sessions mm -hmm. for, um, military, for the women, for the spouses, male, female, whoever nowadays, but, um, sorry. No, I'm biting my tongue. It's okay. 
anyhow, it is what it is. So it it's for the spouses, significant others. Is that more appropriate? Yes. So yes. anyhow, um, I think breakout sessions with understanding a transition of your soldier, your spouse coming back, going in, whatever dynamics, what to expect, how to expect it. These are dynamics um, that need to be laid out. And to me, it was just what they did back in, I don't know, 2014? Back in 2014. Jeez, I'm croaked. Ten, ten, ten years ago. So, I mean, things kind of could have changed, but I really believe that the spouses need really significant information of what to expect, how to expect it, what to, what, I mean, you may or may not, ex, you know, get this from your spouse or significant other mm. when they, are departing or returning. You may or may not, but you have to be prepared for these things. We never got any of that. I personally was sideswiped from his last deployment because of the lack of. I had never experienced in my life was totally sideswiped. And I think that it's it's something that needs to be really educated into our spouses, period. Sorry, got a no. little bit on a tangent there. No, no, you're, you're actually right on, right on target with everything you just said. And I 100% agree with everything you said. Uh, and that's why, and like I said, I've just recently just, for whatever reason, it's, boiled to the top of my kind of my brain pan and, and uh, become really, really important to me to to kind of discuss this. And that's why I asked you as well to be on the show. I didn't want to just do Dave because me and Dave can have a heyday and, and have giggles and laughs and, and talk about lots of things. But um, I also want to bring that perspective of it in and you guys are the perfect couple to do that with. So uh yeah there's there's things that and and i'm hoping that one day maybe you know somebody from congress or somebody will actually see this and and listen to it and pay attention to it and take heed to it because it's probably the thing that we do worst in the military is uh, at least in my experience is is actually getting customer feedback and actually acting on that customer feedback and fixing problems that need to be addressed rather than fixing what we think needs to be fixed and trying to anticipate what the customer actually needs the customer being the military families the the, the children of military folks the spouses of military folks and and military folks in general as well so yeah it's yeah it's 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 that and then it's also the transition program and and we can hit on it one more time or or go across it but um i kind of equate it to that whole reintegration program of when you come back from deployment as a military service member 
and you get like this whole week long or two weeks long of training or however long it happens to be where you get to go through these classes. And I think at the time there was, you know, some MRT training and some other things about how to, you know, keep calm and how you're going to reintegrate and how you're going to, how things are going to be when you get back home, depending on when you deployed or when you came back and you, and even like a PCS move, right? You get a sponsor on the ground who actually like kind of walks you to like, hey, here's the commissary and here's the the medical clinic and here's the things that you need to know about, about Biloxi, Mississippi and the, you know, the places that you don't need to go and the, uh, some of the norms and the, and the things that happen around this area. And you just don't get that when you transition out of the military specifically. Um, and one of those things happens to be the spouses being informed of what exactly is going on. Cause nowhere in the process did I ever see a spouse at anything on the base other than dropping off their military member to go to an appointment or dropping off their military member to go to a briefing. It's just not, it's not there. And I think it's a little bit lopsided and unfair and, uh, not just unfair to the spouse, but unfair to the family as a, as a unit. Mm -hmm. Agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. Well, we're dropping him well, off in Jersey and just saying, <laughs> see you later. I love you. You know, be safe, you know, and not knowing anything, which I don't want to know half of anything. But um, I really don't. And honestly, that's what keeps me sane. Not knowing stuff. What? I saw the look. What? So anyhow, not knowing half, especially when he was in the service, not knowing what he was doing actually kept my sanity in, in check. So there's a protocol of you know, you give just enough information kind of thing and move on. And, but um, I think that, I mean, we still do that to this day with his current job. So it's, I don't need to know what he does. I don't want to know what he does. I don't know what he does. So, you know. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't really know what I do either. <laughs> So, so it's hey, um, paid today. Cool. So I think communication between spouses is key in any kind of situation, any kind of deployment, any kind of whatever you're going through. But communication, even if it's just picking up the phone, hey. I love you, thinking about you, what's going on with the kids, what's going on with the dogs, what's going on with the mailbox, I don't care. Talk about anything under the sun. But communication and making sure that that communication is felt, hmm. that's key. Um, as though you're still in that relationship during your whatever deployment. Um, that is key. Um, I surprised this one with the puppy one year and he was not happy. <laughs> but, 
it happened because I needed the puppy in my life. So, um, but, but yes, that, that right there, I think is vital, even though you, a spouse can't communicate certain things of their job, they can still communicate as if they're on a first date. Yeah, I really like that a lot. Keeping things uh, day day one, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Yeah, I, I try to do that myself, and um, it seems to actually work out pretty well uh, when you do it that way because you don't carry a lot of baggage into the next day and the next day and the next day. So. You got it. You yeah. got it. Let me shift gears a little bit and ask about your actual transition and going from wearing the uniform to putting on a suit and tie or, you know, t-shirt flip-flops, whatever it is that you wear to work. Uh, and how was that transition as far as the uh, job hunting, putting together a resume, or did you even have to do any of that? Did you just kind of fall into a position where you just, you left as master sergeant one day and you came back as Mr. GS 12 the next day? How did that work out? So I had a little practice. Um, being a reserve person for so long, I had a full-time gig up in Maine. And then, like I said earlier, um, you know, dropping off of that and, and starting to wear the uniform through the deployment and then through my transition. Uh, the, the biggest challenge to me was the whole um, interview and sell yourself thing. Um, I, I do better with show, don't tell, but you, that's not how interviews work. They want you to kind of sell yourself. They want you to do these ridiculous uh, cover sheets and then your your one page of um, of resume, which is now, by the way, they've kind of relaxed that. And I guess now two and three resumes from what I'm seeing coming across my desk are two and three page resumes are more of the norm. Um, you know, getting getting that into my mind. But for me, <clears throat> once uh, the one of the biggest tools that I was able to successfully utilize was the resume service during TAP when they brought somebody in to go through your resume with you to help you do a clean resume and then to teach you how to tell your, tailor your resume for the job market or the job you're looking at, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on top of that, how to um, translate military jargon into corpse speak um you know leading 15 troops through various combat operations blah 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 translates into leading a challenge leading a small group of 15 individuals through challenging day-to-day uh, -day things blah 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 right um how how to write it so mr corporate gets it. Uh, that was probably one of the most valuable things of the TAP program for me. But I went, um, I went to two events, one of which put me in touch with the two people that offered me jobs. Uh, one of them was with my former company, Northrop Grumman, 
And then another one was with another company that offered me a, that actually wound up both of them offered me a position for more uh, up in Bethesda. And this is this is where you have to step back. You have to you really when you when you're in this you have to not think a week from now, two weeks from now, a month from now. You have to think five years from now if I'm still in this job. Um, we all know that that companies are no longer loyal to employees. They're loyal to stockholders. So you have to accept that. Um, so, you, so you have to understand, okay, I'm going to get this job getting out of the military. They've offered me an amount of money that I can live with. Um, and and to anybody who's getting ready to get out, don't forget to include all of those non-tangibles that um, that come with the military that you don't see. Uh, even though you're retiring um, and, and you get the, the health care benefits, if you're not retiring, you don't necessarily get all of that. So those, these are these non-tangibles. The housing that you get but don't get if you're in housing, that money, right? You have to consider that when you're when you're looking at money. But anyways, um, you know, looking that far in advance, because what I did was I said, this looks like a cool job. It is a really cool amount of money. But I failed to really absorb the impact of driving from Bristow, Virginia to Bethesda on I-66 every day. Now, that's the one I call the devil's highway. It is terrible. And I leave my house no later than five in the morning in order to avoid sitting in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic for an hour in increasing my internal rage meter um, and, and fortunately, by the grace of God, they rescinded that offer because the customer eliminated the position. And I went to the backup. And then the backup was with my old company, uh, Northrop Grumman. And from Maine. Yeah, I worked for Northrop Grumman in Maine. And and I, I talked to the guy and he said, man, I'd really like to have you come out. And I said, well, thanks very much. I got another job offer. I'm going to take that one. He said, listen, if anything happens, call me, please. I said, okay. We were on our way to Suffolk to visit our uh, son and his wife when I got a call and they said, yeah, look, we, we're going to have to rescind the offer because the customer eliminated the position. I was like, Okay, so I immediately called that hiring manager and I said, so uh, we still good? And he said, yeah. And the next week I was in and I had an, a, an interview and, and then immediately had a, an offer the next day. Mm -hmm. So, but having navigated the corporate structure before, I, I was like pretty lackadaisical about most of it. Like I said, that, that that resume piece is critical, learning how to do that. If I have to redo my resume again in a serious way, I'm going to go find a professional and I'm going to have them go through it with me. That's that's not my strength. I, I can wordsmith all day long, but to, to write it in a way that the, the algorithms are going to catch, because your resume doesn't go to a human right away. It goes to a computer. It goes to freaking Watson's 
second cousin from the backwoods of Alabama. And he's like, well, this is okay. And sends it or doesn't. Nothing wrong with it. I said the backwoods of Alabama. You're from uh, you're from Montgomery, Alabama. They, they practically in there. Um, so um, uh, and, and then thinking, you know, thinking a year, six, seven months, a year ahead. Am I going to be okay with doing X every single day? I would have been a ball of rage and hate if I took that job in Bethesda. I would have been miserable. Right now, I, I am not a happy camper if I leave my house after 6 a.m. I'm not. I'll spend the 14 bucks on the expressway to avoid. I will. Um, and, and, and so these are things, though, you have to consider. And TAP, as good as it can be, doesn't, doesn't necessarily prepare you to think like that. Um, and, and, I mean, I'm, I'm really passionate about this because there, but by the grace of God, I would have been in that job. Well, whereas now I'm in a great gig. I love what I do, mostly. I really enjoy 95% of the people I work with. And honestly, tomorrow morning, if I'm not feeling it, I call my manager. Um, don't play this for the whole world, is he? And he says, okay. Hmm. You know, you see what I'm saying? So these are things you have to consider that you don't naturally consider in the military. You just, you don't because your programming for 20, 30 years is get up, go do the thing, walk there, ride there, do the thing, go to the motor pool, do that, whatever. And then you're done for the day. If they say that you can be done for the day, you know, so you don't think about, oh, what about this commute? What, where am I going to live? What is, what is going to be the difference between buying a house here versus buying a house over here and that distance? Is it worth the distance? Is it worth that drive? Is it worth maybe taking less money to go get a job opposite traffic? Is it maybe taking worth taking a job where you have to pay a little bit more for benefits, but you have that flexibility? Or you're actually happy with what you're doing. And I could go on a long time about that part of it. Yeah. And I just want to go on a yeah. tangent real quick and ask you, as far as you getting the job with Northrop, do you feel like that was more of the results of the resume of writing? Or do you feel that was more of a result of building relationships and building networks with people and establishing those lines of communications beforehand? So I didn't know this person from Adam. I got that job not because of a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. uh, I got that job because I, when I walked up to him and I told him who I was and I had him in my resume, he looked at me and he says, "Let me ask you something. How do you how how do you do X, Y, and Z, or or do you know how to do X, Y, and Z?" I said, "Yeah. Uh, one of the things that they had was a virtualized environment," and I said. Well, I basically run a virtual environment in my house. Uh, all of my stuff is on one server, and I and he goes, "You have to come with me right now." And and 
you know, we went and we talked to, he called his lead guy and we talked on the phone for a little bit, but the opportunity to actually stop and have a conversation with a hiring manager, when hiring managers take the time to go to these events, these hiring events, you know that they're serious about finding somebody they can work with. And honestly, I think if they don't, if they're not interested in you, you can still walk away feeling good about it because it's not about you. It's about what they're actually looking for. Right. Right. Um, and uh, so there were several folks that I would talk to for a little bit and you could see their, mm -hmm, they were being polite. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks. We'll keep this. Here's my card, blah, blah. But this guy, when I told him what I knew and what I did and how I operated, he was like, uh, walk with me. Let's go make a phone call. So, you know, the, these hiring events are absolutely, in my mind, pivotal because you're, you're talking to a human being, not relying on a computer to spit mm -hmm. your resume out to the right person. Mm -hmm. Even now, I have looked for different positions within my company. I don't put a resume in on my company's website. Hmm. I call the hiring manager or I call the hiring recruiter and I say, put me in touch with the hiring manager. I want to talk to him. And they'll do it. Would you say it's safe to say that it's probably even more imperative to try to spend as much time as you can, maybe even prior to getting out of uniform, um, trying to find some of these hiring events and trying to get in front of people who are at these hiring events yeah. who are potentially hiring managers? Yeah, absolutely. When, when you know you're done, when you finally get that piece of paper that says, this is your retirement date, mm -hmm. that's when you start planning ahead to go to the hiring events four or five months out. You may not find a job, right. but, and because a lot of times they're looking for somebody right now, right? But even then, if you've talked to somebody and you have their card, as you get closer, you can call that person and say, hey, remember we talked at X. What are you guys looking for anybody right now? That's excellent. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, make that effort. And when your command allows you, again, I consider myself very blessed in that my last couple of months, um, my my command was like, you know what? Just call us in the morning and let us know you're okay. And if we need you, we'll have you come in. Otherwise, get yourself ready to go. Um, and if more commands did that, Honestly, the, the exit process would be just so much more relaxed for people who are transitioning out. Yeah, I mean, the, the mission goes on and depending on who's in charge, if you've got the, uh, the, the, the token XO, that we both probably know about who's hard charging and wants to get everything yeah. done and, and spends, you know, seven extra hours a day in the office working on charts and graphs and PowerPoint yeah. Ranger stuff. 
Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Like, be driven, but at the same time, uh, you have to take care of your people. And taking care of your people in a lot of cases is just knowing who they are, knowing their motivations, knowing what they want to do. And that's one of the things that you mentioned where you were like, you were able to spot that in one of the younger um, folks that was working with you. And you were like, hey, you know, if you really feel like you're going to get out, maybe that's the right choice for you because that's really what you want to do. And I think that, I think this one has something to say. Yeah, go ahead. I, I, a quick question mm-hmm. based on what you were just saying. Um, Me? Yeah. Um, if you have an individual that is short term and, but they are in a position of, full-blown protective okay they're in a mission they're in a full-blown situation to where they cannot take the time Mm -hmm. um to do what you just said Mm -hmm. um what can the military do for those individuals mission comes first well Um, the mission well I understand. That's the answer. So the mission does come first and that person may not have the opportunity I have. And I, and I, and I understand that, but not everybody retires while they're full blown on mission. A lot of people retire while they're here, they're stateside, they're, they're in garrison and, and they do have the ability to turn over. I, I got out of the Navy on deployment. I know you did. They forced me to go on the yeah, deployment instead of leaving behind. I know. But I turned over all of my stuff to not the, not the chief replacing me, but to other people. And I had two weeks of downtime to tr- get ready for my transition out of the Navy. So my question, I understand all of that. I understand all of that. My question is for the Navy personnel, the Army, yep. Marines, the Air military, Force, the whole entire conglomerate. Right now, a lot of our units are in the Middle East, right? So, Not a lot. So, well, well, we've got a presence. So, if you have an individual in wherever over there in the middle of the total conflict, they're not going to be able to take the time to do what you just suggested. Right. So what is a suggestion for those military personnel in their situation? Mission first. Take care of your people. Well, and I'm sorry, okay, but that's the only answer. the answer, yeah. but what's the secondary to help them prepare for transition? So if you don't mind me, I, I really like that you've asked the question that's on my teleprompter already and <laughs> kind of you have a teleprompter? kind oh, of lingering there. Good. I have a teleprompter. I just let the cat out of the bag. Damn it. Um, and so this is the this is the kind of thing, one of the the motivators and one of the reasons why this podcast actually exists is to 
kind of highlight this thing. And Dave, you may agree or disagree with me. I'll say a couple things about it. So one is for an individual to rely on somebody else to take care of their career is pretty much absurd uh, and absurd yeah, yeah. in the way that nobody's going to take care of you as good as you're going to take care of yourself. Now, as far as the mission goes, as far as the mission goes, I, I found myself doing that very thing. I worked, 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 but I did also set a boundary and I said, look, as soon as this mission's completed, I'm going to hit the six month mark from being at my ETS date or my retirement date. And at that point, that's when Chief McConnell stops being Chief McConnell and Chief McConnell is going to start being John again or working towards that goal of becoming John. Um, but one of the, the, the real like underpinning points of all of this is for people to understand that, yes, you can't foresee a deployment. You can't foresee operational tempo, which is what we're referring to when we say that the 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 military unit has a mission and the mission becomes the priority and sometimes it gets a little bit faster depending on conflicts within the world and geopolitical things that are happening in in, in the globe but one yeah, thing yeah. you can actually do is start to think about if you're 15 years in the military if you're t even 20 years in the military and you haven't retired yet and you haven't thought about it yet like that's something that you have to kind of foresee and and do some prior planning for not like going and getting your gear ready and like scrubbing your stuff down with a toothbrush but mentally preparing yourself for the the five-year you know milestone that you spoke of in the civilian sector in the regular job but also in the military of having that forethought to look into the future a few years and say, look, at this point, this is where I'm going to actually think about retiring, even if I don't, and even if I stay for five more years or whatever. Um, but you have to, you have to get that in your brain at least a couple years out. And that's one of the reasons, the main reasons for this whole thing is thinking ahead in the future like that, because uh, let's be honest, TAP is available at 24 months right now. It may change, but right now it's currently available 24 months to the day. And I know that because I went to go start my TAP process a day prior to that 24 months. And they told me, hey, you have to come back tomorrow because you can't officially start TAP until tomorrow. So then I came back tomorrow and did it. But that's two years right there that they could potentially start that process. And really, in all honesty, TAP is a one-week thing. It's a one-week worth of seminars and briefings and blah, blah, blah. Um, but they give you two years to complete that, right? And potentially two years to do it maybe once or twice or multiple times or have enough time to ask the questions. So I think, yes, the commands, the people who are in charge should take it seriously and should be able to try to manage their resources better so that they can actually allocate that individual who's going to retire or transition out of the military and allot them time to do it. But at the same time, 
the majority of it falls on the individual. The individual has to take full responsibility, whether it's their responsibility or not, that their career and their transition and their well-being beyond the military is completely in their hands. That's what I'll say. You know, yeah, I, I think that we're 100 on the same page. I just, I just completely communicated it differently, because I did, well, I did take my matters into my own hands when it came from transitioning out of the Navy. You know, I went to the chief engineer and the MPA, and I said, um, "I'm leaving the ship on this date. Who am I giving this stuff to?" Well, you need to. No, no, no. Who's taking over this now so that I have time to, to so that they have time to pick it up? And I and I'm here still for them to ask questions, but I'm not going to do it. Take me off the watch rotation on this date. Whoever is coming after me needs to be standing that watch. Because if I just leave, then it's a lurch. So but you're right. It is on that individual to prompt the command, but then it's on the command to be supportive of that individual who is obviously taking the initiative to do the right thing. And I, I, I just, it, it is a two-way street. You know, this this idea she's talking about, what about this person who is forward deployed, who is in, who's in the middle of a nasty situation, but that's the time that they're getting out. All right, well, what is the likelihood that they're going to be given a retirement date during all of that? You and I know that it's probably pretty slim, but if it were to happen, then it's on that individual to go to the command and say, look, this is what's going to happen. And you need to support me in this, you know? Well, that that's why your, your story is actually really you unique, not super unique, but it's very, very unique in the fact that you hit sanctuary during that deployment. And that's kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. the angle that I think maybe you're referring to Ali. It may be different, but um, I feel like that, that is definitely one of those situations where you're kind of thrown into it, even if you're counting the days or not. Like if you hit sanctuary, whether it's on accident or on purpose or however it happens to be, like that's one of those kind of times where you're like, you approach the command and you're like, hey, look, I just hit sanctuary yesterday. And so that means I'm officially going to be getting out of this unit and getting out of the military that we know now and transitioning to something else to another you know, a unit or another location for the next year yeah. or two. Yep. And I, I acknowledge that. I, I know that my situation, and I think my situation is in kind of unique, not from the sanctuary side. A lot of people hit sanctuary, but just the, um, the set of circumstances that allowed me to do what I did. Um, and I will tell you, the planner in this family is not the bald one. <laughs> um, I am mostly a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants guy. There are some things I plan meticulously. But everyday, day-to-day planning, there's a lot of times I don't think of stuff unless she goes, hey, have you thought about this? And then I'm like, oh. Um, I am very happy with, with our partnership. Uh, she she gets me to think about things that I wouldn't normally think about. And I think I do the same for her in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess it's a, it's not just between the service member and the command, service member and the spouse, but it is it is a coordinated effort. And it has to be a coordinated effort. But it's still, no matter what it is, it's still 100% 
back down to that service member, thinking ahead, plotting things out, and not coming up to that six, last six months and go, well, what am I going to do now? Right. I did put my phone on airplane mode. I, did you? I did. I don't think you put it on airplane mode because it's, it's really loud. Well, you're on Wi-Fi still. So uh, that's why it's not on airplane. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Um, I'm a nerd. It's not. I'm not. I mean, I mean, you're hitting us with the with the cues, you know, right on right on schedule. And he says, "Fly by the seat of your pants," and you're you're in airplane mode, and and I'm going to go into a fly by the seat of your pants moment and ask you both of you actually. Um, if all of the responsibilities of life and the obligations of life suddenly just kind of disappeared, of course you have to feed the pets and like keep the water and lights on and stuff like that. But if everything else kind of disappeared as far as work and all these other responsibilities that we have in our adult lives, um, what activity or activities would you dive into or what would you do with your time if everything was just kind of cleared up and all the roadblocks were moved? You ready? One, two, three, travel. <laughs> I mean, we are not on the same page and, and probably uh, I want to say in our hobbies and our thought processes and our in, in in our interests, we're not on the same page and probably about eighty percent. But when it comes to what would we do if we just could travel, we would travel one hundred percent. I I want to travel the states. Um, there are there is so much of this country I have yet to see. Europe, um, but there's also so much of this world that I have yet to see through the lens of a non military situation. Yeah. Um, I, I was fortunate during my career to have put foot on uh, six of the seven continents. Um, I haven't hit Antarctica yet, but I'll take the opportunity if I can. Uh, but there's so much to see. There's so many people to meet. There are so many foods to try. Oh, uh, it just thinking about would you expect food. anything less from him uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna be in sicily what am i gonna be doing <laughs> manja manja <laughs> <laughs> um uh yeah we we love to travel we love to get out and try things i have uh finally achieved a goal of getting my um uh, dive certification and I love diving. I want to get advanced open water so that I can do, do some wreck diving. Um, I, I We both love uh, river cruises and ocean cruises. I'm not so much a fan of land tours, the guided land tours, unless I'm doing it myself, but I can see their value. But before this turns into a plug for Allison's travel agency business, um, I would... No plug. I would I would wander the earth. I really would. I would wander the planet. And she would and we'd both be doing that very happily. It's 
since he mentioned it, it is why I do what I do as a profession. So I love exploring the world. I love exploring what each destination has to offer, whether it's... What, so you're going to go to Tokyo with me? Maybe. (laughs) So, but um, there are... I mean, it is what I have done for since 1989. So it's my passion. It's become our passion. It's that's what we would do. So I want to ask one or two more questions and then I want to kind of wrap it because I know we're hitting that time mark. And I mean, I could go on forever and ever. Uh, but I don't want to hold you hostage here on my podcast all day long. Um, so I'll go and tackle this one first. And this is specifically for Dave. And f- it, we'll see where it goes. Um, if you could go back and meet up with your 16-year-old self. <laughs> and let's let, let's not say go back and give yourself like, stock advice or buy you know buy amazon stock or anything like that or pick these lottery numbers but if you could just go back and have 30 minutes with your 16 year old self could you put us in the time and place where you would be meeting yourself at and could you just tell me like what that 30 minutes might look like yeah uh, it's because of the way my brain works. I've actually thought about this sort of thing. Uh, don't sell the Mustang, no matter what, keep it regardless of what it costs you. Keep the Mustang. 1967 Mustang. 65. 65 Mustang. Um, don't, don't be in such a hurry. You don't have to do it right now. Take your time. Think things through. Um, I think those are the two big things I would tell myself, no matter what it is, right? You don't have to rush into anything. You don't have to have that car right now. You don't have to have that thing right now. You don't have to make that decision right now. You can sit back and process it. I've, I'm, I was raised by a man who taught me that logic is what is the most important thing to get you through life. Love is important. Love is critical. Having having this relationship is absolutely critical. But what gets you far is processing things from a from a logical standpoint and and not acting in the immediate emotion. And and I would tell 16-year-old Dave that as you make these decisions, do the thing that you were taught to do. Get counsel from men that are wiser than yourself, that have lived longer than you. Ask their opinions. But then sit back and think it through. Pray about it. Um, I have, I, I could be in a very different position right now uh not only uh, mostly financially but not only financially but um in my in in my whole life situation 
if I had simply not acted with the urgency of, oh my gosh, I need to do this. That and don't sell the Mustang. Don't sell the Mustang. Maybe for his 80th. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't know. It might be coming up. It might be a secret that you don't know about yet, Dave. <laughs> well, let me let me point the let me point the microphone to you, Ali, and ask you this same question. I mean, we've got you here, and we're we're trying to make this a, a level playing field as far as the interview goes. Um, if you could go meet up with your sixteen year old self, where where would this occur? Like, what physical place and time and space would this occur? And and if you had like thirty minutes, like what what would that thirty minute talk look like? Hmm. Um, I would say the location would be San Diego. 16. Oh, well, if I was to say this to myself at the age of 16. Yeah, where would you be at 16? I didn't oh, answer that question. The age of 16, I was in the bedroom. Um, the front woods, not the backwoods. Indeed. Um, <laughs> I, honestly, I think I would honestly tell myself, love is patient, love is kind, love does not judge, it is not envious, it is not any of those things, it perseveres throughout all. Um, because hardship comes in all shapes and measures, in all, I mean, all forms of life. Um, to persevere, to love, to not judge, to do not envy, to, I mean, all of those things, I think would have benefited me. In so many different ways, if I was to go back and tell myself that it's the age of 16, um, I think it would have helped with relationships, I, I, any, any course of relationship, but um, I think I would tell, I would not only tell myself that, I would tell myself ultimately to get my act together with God um, because he ultimately held us together through all of our careers and all of our years. Um, I, I would tell myself that. Um, that's what I would do. It's good advice, both of you, actually. It's really good advice. And I'm almost willing to bet uh, a bottle of wine on the Bible verse. I believe it's Corinthians 14 to 17. 13. I'm not a Bible. 13. Yeah, First Corinthians 13 is what she's quoting. Yeah. 
I'm, I'm not a Bible person, but I, I, I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, and, and I really hold true to that. I would um, recite that to our children as they were growing up. And it, um, I bring them back to that even to this day. You can't control the environment around you, but you can control what is within you. Response to it. Your responses to dynamics. And um, I still hold true to that to this day. Faithfully. That's excellent. Okay. So for the last bit of our game show, I'm going to put both of you in front of a crowd of, say, 20 transitioning service members. Could be retiring, could be just getting out after a few years. And you're given the floor in order for the two of you to either speak individually or speak together collectively um, to this group of individuals who are transitioning. Um, and you've got about 18 minutes to give this talk. So let's just call it a TED talk of two. Um, what would the thesis of this talk be? And uh, what are a couple key talking points that you would probably hit in the course of this conversation? Yes. Boy, of all the questions you've asked, that's the least I'm prepared for. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm good at keeping things to 18 minutes and less, but uh, and you have to do it blindfolded. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's more awkward now. <laughs> um, Actually, I, I, if I'm going to hem and haul my way through this right now, but if I was prepared, it, it would be probably to reiterate a lot of what we've already covered, which is take ownership of your own stuff as best you can. We all know that we don't own ourselves when we're in the military. We, we are owned by the uncle and, and the officers and appointed over us. But do the best you can to take ownership of everything you can and control that. And to think not just a year ahead, not just six months, not just, oh, man, I'm finally getting out. But what does me being out look like? Five years from now, what does that look like? I I wish I had thought about that, and and I and we've talked about this. We would most likely not be in this house if I had thought five years ahead, because I would have said things to her that she would have gone, "Oh my gosh, you're right. What about?" And then we would have just entered this really huge dialogue about what does five plus ten plus 15 years look like. Um, and, you know, take that time that you have as you're preparing to transition out to clear all of the air. You know, uh, let me, I'm going to tell this anecdotally, but it, it, it's meant to kind of make a point. I gave her a gift of a really nice, fun convertible car when I got, after I got out. 
And it was my way of saying, thank you for putting up with crappy housing, tons of moves, kids on your own, um, all the stuff that you had to do by yourself while I did my thing. Thank you. Here is this. But I knew that she wanted that because I asked her things that she wanted. I didn't assume. And she was willing to tell me honestly what I really want is that freaking nice fancy convertible. That, that would be cool. And so that's what I got her. So take that time to talk to your significant other and say, how can I say thank you? Because for one, for one person, it might be take me on a freaking two-month cruise. For another person, it might be buy me a house in the woods. For another person, it might be let's just put down roots and never move again and figure it out from there. But take that time to figure it out with your significant other. And if you're single, save every single freaking penny you can. Um, don't spend anything. Anyways. Um, yeah. Hello, Bob. I know. I, I just channeled my father right there. Um, that it would, it would look like, you know, taking a serious look at what you want your second retirement to look like. Mm -hmm. I didn't think about that until just a few years ago. What does my second retirement look like? And I think I would have liked to have thought about that when I was retiring from the army. I was just more, you know, involved with, okay, I, I, I'm going to have this house and I need a job that's going to help me keep the lights on and the water running. Um, you know, so it, it's that long distance planning. This is the ultimate goal. This is how I'm going to try to get there now. Understanding that things change. The world changes. Stuff happens. Um, but, but you need to set that goal in mind early so that when stuff does happen, you're not really rattled by it. Uh, one of the things I learned way too late is, is that for somebody my age, now I'm a Gen Xer. Allison is also a Gen Xer. So we have no feelings. Yes, go Gen X. No feelings. <laughs> the original latchkey kids. We don't care what you think. You're not going to hurt our feelings because we got rid of them. Um, is, is that at our situation, we will need to have roughly four to five million dollars saved in order to retire at 65 and just keep living. At our current level of life, forty-five million, four to five, not oh, forty. I, I was like sixty-nine months. Um, <laughs> like that's a whole. Story. And, I don't know where that's coming from. <laughs> and we we live in this culture and the society of have all the things now, pay for it later, which is the stupidest stuff that we could do. And we go through our, we, you know, you've met that young sailor, or, uh, you've met that young soldier that went out and said, I just made E3 and I bought myself a brand new uh, Chevrolet Camaro, <laughs> you know, but that's programmed into us. Stop thinking that way and think about what does 20 years from now look like? What's my goal 20 years from now? Because I, I, you are going to have a second retirement. We all join it, 18, 19, 20 years old. 
we are still pups when we get out, even if we retire. Um, and, and, and give it serious thought, not just passing thought. And I'll stop there. Are you wanting me to pop in now? <laughs> <laughs> if you want, if you if you if you got anything you want to add to that, or if there's any other direction you want to go with that, go ahead. Absolutely. I think, I think um, in today's society, I think we should take a focus of looking at oneself, finding our place, and and where you as an individual, you feel that you're led to go, um, whether it be into humanitarian or into um, service or into corporate or whatever, I think that finding your direction, whatever it may be, find it, but have a purpose with it. Um, in other words, find your purpose. Um, I think that in moving forward, in any kind of situation, it's find yourself a support group, find yourself um, good friends, relationships to where you can share. If you don't have a spouse, then absolutely. But if you do have a spouse, find that area within your relationship to where you can share your dreams and and desires and move forward. Um, with what Dave has shared, also, I agree 100%. You can have dreams and desires of going on vacation or buying whatever, but your future right now is going to be the most important um, down the road. I mean, we're in our late 50s, um, so it's it's one of those things that we're really seriously looking at, and are we prepared? We think we are trying to be prepared, but are we truly prepared? Um, so think about things, not the here and now, but think about things that can be in the future. Um, we are now able to travel very much so more than we did when we were younger um, because we plan and we prepared. So um, just put that in your little back pocket and just see if that is something that's doable for you. A lot of people... Um, Put in budget plans. A lot of people put in finances with um, different um, investment companies. That's a possibility. Um, I mean, we did that. So there's hope. There's happiness down the road. Um, I think if you pursue things in the way that you really desire them, I think you can achieve all things. 
that's actually great advice from both of you. And I think it would be a really wonderful talk if you could get in front of a, a group of transitioning members. Um, I would encourage you to try if you can. So with that, let me bounce off into the the last little part here, because I don't want to, again, I want to be respectful of your time, and I think I've went way over that. <laughs> but, um, okay. Let me just allow you to tell folks uh, where they can find you online and, and also... Um, if, if you want to get some information about uh, the things that you're doing, traveling, the business, and anything like that, um, would love to point anybody in your direction if they're interested in doing anything like that as well, because that's, you know, that's just part of the part of the perks of being here. So, um, yeah, anything you want to put out there and uh, be, be, be wary of throwing your email address out there because you might get pinged. But uh, but yeah, anything like that um, where people can find you if they want to reach out to you or if they have some questions or if they want to um, ask anything or, or reach back out in any of the comments or anything like that. Well, I'm assuming you're going to tag us in the video when you when you post it. Of course. So so that would probably be the best way for for either of us, because, yeah, I'm not going to give out an email address, but um, you, a message on Facebook works uh, her business. Um, if you wanted to tag her business, you're welcome to do that, but certainly not asking you to do that. Um, uh, Northgate Travel uh, here in Bristow is her business. And I'm on Facebook. And, and she is also on Facebook. So um, As Northgate Travel. Yeah. So uh, if, if they wanted to ask questions, if they wanted to dig into the squirrel cage that is my brain or the travel cage that is her brain, uh, yeah, they're welcome to reach out to us through Facebook. I um, I don't like Facebook, but it's what I use uh, because nothing else uh, really is as effective. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't like social media at all, but <laughs> I tend to be on it. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and as far as the, the travel stuff goes, um, because you did mention at some point here, and I think just kind of briefly and kind of said, yeah, we'd love to travel, or maybe it was a, a jubileum of, of a, a countdown to uh, the answer of travel. Um, as far as travel goes, can you give us any tips to anybody who may have spent their career traveling for the military but now they're trying to get out and see more of the world we've got a few friends that have retired in the last few months and over the last year uh and again it's the same as the job thing right it's like you've been doing the military thing maybe since you were 17 18 19 years old you may have never had a real job before that and then you jump into the job market trying to put a resume together or trying to go to networking events, trying to set up job stuff. I think the same applies to traveling. If you haven't done it recreationally for your own enjoyment and actually going on a vacation and actually taking a trip and trying to enjoy the trip rather than thinking about the emails that you have to get back to when you get back off of the trip, um, any kind of recommendations of 
how to maybe navigate that and start that kind of planning process and some some destinations you may want to um, point people to that may not be on the top 10 list on on uh, Bloomberg or something like that? Give a little bit of silence there for editing purposes. I have to take a time out and uh, my teeth are floating. I'm going to let her talk to you for a second. But then I, I do have a lot to say, because I learned a lot, not just from being married to a travel agent, but from forcing myself to listen to her advice. So, but I'll let her talk for a minute, but I had to let you know, I had to step out. Absolutely. So if you want me to wait until he comes back, that would be fine. Let me do a quick, yeah, we'll just take a quick little five minute break and then we'll just hop back in. I'll leave yeah, the recording. Let the dogs out. Do refill the, thing. the wine. All that good stuff. Yes. A few moments later. Travel. So, um, one of the things I remember you asked is what are our, what are our travel plans? Um, we are getting ready to take a trip to Hawaii to visit our son. Um, he is stationed there. And uh, so that'll be, she's never been to Hawaii. I've been to Hawaii three times and I'm, I'm generally like with Hawaii, but she really wants to see it. So we're going to go to Hawaii. Um, and then we're taking a cruise in um, October that will take us from Rome around. And we're going to see some stuff in Greece. We're going to spend a day in France and then um, in Livorno so that we can go up to the Chianti region again. Love that area. Um, but uh, so that, those are our big trips this year. Um, I will say this from the military member's perspective. I did so much of my own wandering around that I was reticent to do anything guided, do anything tour-wise. Uh, and I, I, I have learned, albeit a struggle, and she'll attest it was like pulling teeth from me at times, take the advice of a professional. Um, having watched her do this for 30 years, um, she has guided people and helped them to have absolutely wonderful vacations. And folks that have tried to do it on their own have run into problems, run into hassles, that have run into roadblocks, that have run into misunderstandings because of the way things are written in a in a website. Um and uh, so it's like anything else in life, right? Uh, we are encouraged, or at least my, I was encouraged to seek advice from people who know more than you about a particular subject. Pe seek advice from people who have wisdom. Um, and, and that's the same for travel. Figure out where you want to go and then go talk to somebody who is a professional in it and say, help me figure out what to do. Um, and that's what she does. And she's, amazing at it um and i'm not just saying that because she's my wife i'm saying that because she's also my, i'm not just a customer of gj wentworth um but uh yes yeah, she's she's not just my wife but she has really she's helped me to understand and forced me forced me i will say that to do things which i didn't want to do um and then have gone back and said wow you were absolutely right this this was absolutely fantastic to do it this way. Um, so, yeah, uh, that that would I think would be my answer to your question is find somebody who knows more about it, 
get a seasoned travel professional to walk you through it and help you as possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, um, travel, I think it's in my blood. It's, um, I quoting my husband, I cannot go anywhere without talking about it. Um, no word of a lie. It's, it's, it's oh, at a winery having a glass of wine and somebody says, oh, I'm going to go to St. Martin and I'm going to, oh, are you going to go to Orient Beach or are you, are you going to do the French or the Dutch side, you know, and it's in my blood. Um, I do have to say that for a military personnel that has seen the world in different circumstances, um, seeing it on a vacation concept or seeing it on a, or visiting whatever destination as a tourist is completely different avenue. Um, I took him to the Dominican Republic just for a complete beach destination. It was the best R&R he's ever had. Um, just, and we did excursions. We did things, you know, off and abroad. But he was able to completely and com totally decompression himself from work, reality, and life. Um, I've taken him to Scotland and Ireland. I've taken him to Italy. You haven't taken me anywhere. We've gone together. Well, well, I mean, well, uh, uh, Northgate well, Travel did that. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, let so, me tell you about Northgate Travel. <laughs> so anyhow, we've gone to Scotland and Ireland. We've gone to Italy. We've visited France. We did a whole adventure. Um, with a group that I put together um, that did Paris, Normandy, Bordeaux, which the Bordeaux region, we ended up going to Bilbao, San Sebastian, Bordeaux whole region. Um, we've done Alaska together. We've, I mean, so many destinations out there. Um, it's a matter of your personal choice of what you find of interest and what you want to go back and visit. So if you've been to a destination that has intrigued you, whether it be Thailand or Australia or whatever, um, you can always go back as a tourist and you can visit those destinations, not with the expectations of having to go back to whatever duty that you were Dewey. Yeah, I think I think we're both echoing the same thing here, which it's, is go look at it through a different set of eyes. It it is so I try to put together tours, vacations, whatever, um, so that the individual can go and experience the culture in a relaxed atmosphere. I put together um itineraries that can let you go experience in a 
in a format that you don't have any expectations other than being yourself. So um, it's, and every, every client that I have has different expectations. Every client that I have has different budget in mind. So, and I work with all of those details. Um, but I try to curate everything to the nature of the individual or the family that I'm working with. Yeah, that's excellent. And that's um, a really good lens to look at it through. I mean, doing a ton of traveling myself, I I totally um, agree with the sentiment. It's, you've got to be able to release enough control to be able to let go enough to actually enjoy the destination you're going to or the trip that you're going on. And even the planning part of it leading up to the trip is part of that experience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a hundred percent. Planning ahead keeps you from panicking during the trip. And that's kind of the thing we've been talking about, right? Hey, look, it's been really, really good having the both of you on. I'm really happy that we got to sit down again, uh, maybe under some weird electronic digital remote circumstances, but uh, soon soon to be in person again, and we may just revisit this and do an in-person live oh, show. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. Yeah, sitting on, sitting on the coast with a bottle of Italian wine and some pizza. And some octopus. Yes. <laughs> and maybe some horse meat. We'll see. Ooh. I don't know about that. Yeah. I'll try. The equine, the equine family. Uh yeah, no, it's been great. I'm I'm happy to have both of you on and it's I've really enjoyed Thank the time. It's been yeah. cool. Thank you for this. This was uh this was enjoyable. I um I got a lot, I got a lot out of it. So that it it caused me to re- revisit some stuff that um same. I appreciated. Yeah. So same. thank you. You brought back like memories from way back. So yeah, way back. back when I was a boy, <laughs> we used to walk up the hill in the snow both ways. The woman sniffing at our heels. <laughs> It's been wonderful. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much. And any anytime you guys want to come back on and, and chat about this stuff and chat about retirement and transition and stuff like that, uh, I'd love to have you back on for maybe a round two or something like that. I know we pushing pushing the boundaries of the the podcast gods right now, but that's cool. Um, but yeah, so anything that we talked about in the show. Uh, will definitely be down in the show notes if you're checking this out on YouTube or any of the other platforms out there. If you're not checking us out on those platforms, then that means you're probably listening to us on Reads Across America Radio at 11 p.m. on Wednesday evenings, which is another great way to take this in and just kind of sedate yourself with some really good conversations and topics. 
and uh, thank everybody out there for listening in. Thank the both of you for being so generous with your time and spending the time with us today. And um, with that, let everybody go and give you back your time and try not to waste all the internet. So thank you very much. And uh, we'll talk to you all later. Salud. 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 <laughs>